This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. Now, once you turn to the book of Luke, chapter 15, this morning I'm looking, I probably for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be looking at the subject of revival. This morning I'm looking in Luke chapter 15 at the prodigal's revival. The Bible is going to look, or we're going to look in the Scripture this morning in Luke chapter number 15 in verse number 11. We'll read down just a few verses. I'll probably read just a few more verses than I normally do. But again, I'm so thankful that you're here. The Scripture says in Luke chapter 15, I may have said 11, I meant 15 if I did say that. Chapter 15, and I'm looking in verse number 11. The Bible says, and he said, that's Jesus, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living... When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. The Scripture says he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into, the field, into his fields to feed the swine. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and will go to my father and will say unto him, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Now notice in that last verse, And I've often heard it preached like this. He said, I will arise and go to my father's house. He didn't say he was going to his father's house. He said he was going to his father. Because the brick and mortar didn't matter. The man is what made the difference. And beloved, I'm here to tell you right now, people tell me all the time, they'll say, I don't know if I can get back in church. I've been out too long. Don't worry about getting back in church. Get worried about being around Jesus. That's what you need to be worried about. The church stuff will follow. Now, I'm looking here at this scripture. And when you come to chapter 15 of the book of Luke, man, brother Luke is writing about the Lord as he's gathered together with these scribes and Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish people. And they have come to question Jesus because for three years now, they have done their very best to trip him up. They've done their very best to tie him up. They've done their very best to mess him up, but they just can't figure out why he won't bite the bait. And Jesus gets to chapter number 15, and he explains to them why he has come. He tells them in this passage, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. And he's going to give three parables on three lost things that have been found. He gives them, first of all, the parable of the lost sheep. Then he gives to them the parable of the lost shepherd or the the lost coin, the silver. And then he gives to them the parable of the lost son. Now there's a lot that you can talk about there, but if you'll notice as he gets further into the story, he goes from sheep, which is an animal, 
to silver, which is valuable. But ultimately, he gets to the sun, which is what really matters. Because Jesus is not interested in sheep and silver. He's interested in people. And when he gets down into chapter number 15, he deals where we're at with the prodigal son. Now, there's a lot of ways to interpret this and to understand this. This ultimately is the nation of Israel being the older brother, and the younger brother is the Gentile, and the Gentile wandered away, but now he comes back. There's a way to look at this as a lost person that comes back to find Christ. And then you can also interpret this as somebody that saved a part of the family but has wandered away to live their life. And that's how I'm looking at it this morning. And I'd never really paid attention to it until the other day in the airport until I began to look at this passage and began to think this is exactly what revival looks like. This is a picture of revival. It is a picture of what happens when the people of God that have wandered far away from the ways of God and the truth of God and the hope of God and the peace of God and everything about God, when they finally realize what they are missing back at the Father's house. Beloved, I'm telling you right now, the longer I go and the more I live and the harder I preach, I'm telling you right now, we are in need of an old-fashioned, Heaven sent, sky blue, window rattling, hell shaking, window breaking, chain shattering revival. And here's what you need to understand. Revival is something, but revival is also not something. What revival is not is more important before we understand what revival is. Here's what revival is not. Number one, revival is not not an evangelistic campaign. Now, beloved, listen to me. I am all for anything you can do to win anybody you can to the Lord Jesus Christ. Honey, I don't care if you rent the Civic Center. I don't care if you set a tent up. I don't care if you get Billy Ray Cyrus to play the blues and then preach the Jesus to him. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you, anything you can do to win people and reach people, I'm all for it. But that is not revival. You can have evangelistic campaigns, but still not have revival. Number two, a revival meeting is not something that has been announced. It is not an advertised meeting. Now, here's what I'm telling you. We'll have revivals throughout the year. I preach revivals throughout the year. But just because you have put together a flyer and just because you have put together a preacher and just because you have arranged special preaching and singing, that is not revival. Just because you got it on the calendar doesn't mean it's written down in heaven. That is not a revival. And number three, revival is not when sinners get saved. We'll see people that'll come down to the altar and they'll say, I'm trusting in the Lord Jesus. And that's wonderful. That's fantastic. That's awesome. And the church is supposed to be reaching people with the gospel. But that is not indicative of the church of Jesus Christ being in a state of revival. They're 
for, if that is not, or that is what revival is not, then what is revival? I'll give you three things of how you'll know what real revival is. Number one, real revival is when people in the church have an awareness of the presence of God. It's when you realize God is listening, and God is hearing, and God is walking, and God is believing, and God is living, and God is breathing, not just at church, but when we gather in the house of God, we are in a heavenly host. It's when you realize at the house, man, I can't do what I've always wanted to do. I'm entertaining the holy of holies. It's when you go out there. I'm telling you right now, let me just stop and take a timeout. I got three left in most college basketball and football. I got as many timeouts as I want, actually, but I'm going to take one right now. And let me just say, I didn't come this morning to sling stones. I came this morning to slay giants. I'm not interested this morning in anything other than exposing the work of the devil and exposing his lies and exposing his will and exposing his ways because it's high time that the people of God get tired of the husk from the swine's pen and realize we're seated together in heavenly places and I'm just about over the church of Jesus Christ living like a junkyard dog and then getting upset when you got fleas all over you honey we're called to be the flock of God in the field of God walking in the ways of God and I'm just about over in 2022 everywhere I go people acting like we're here to entertain that one or we're here to entertain that one honey we're not here to entertain anybody we've got an audience of one and the presence of God is among the people of God and revival sets in when you say God is in the house number two real revival is not just when God's in the house it's when there is a renewal of the prayer burden you say why do people pray to get heaven to move you know, we got this idea that if we put some bouncy floats out in the yard, we'll get kids to come to the church. You can't get kids to come to the church. The Holy Ghost has got to draw them. Honey, you can set it up like the YWCA, YMCA. You can set it up like the Lions Club. But unless that float and that Bible school and that revival and that service have been bathed in prayer, you're wasting your time. I'm all for bouncy floats. Man, I want to set up, I'd set up a bouncy float in the sanctuary if I thought he'd get kids in heaven. Well, that bothered some of you. I'll just say it one more time. Honey, I'd set it up anywhere. I'll do anything I can to reach anybody, but it is a waste of time if heaven doesn't come down. And when the people of God start saying, we got to pray over that. I got to pray over that job. I got to pray over that house. I got to pray over that car. I got to pray over that relationship. I got to pray over that college decision. I got to pray over whether or not I'm going to take that class. I'm going to pray over whether or not I'm going to accept that job. I'm going to pray over whether or not I receive or accept that promotion. Listen to me. Not every open door is God's door and not every opportunity is God's opportunity. Some of those have been masked by the devil wrapped in a pretty package to make you think it's from God. But until you pray, you don't know what you're doing. Number three, I'll tell you what real revival is. Real revival is not just that, that, that time when you're aware of God's presence, not just when you renew the prayer burden, but number three, when you repent of sin and apathy. Amen. Beloved, I'm telling you right now, one thing that the church has got wrong with it is we're dirty. 
We smell like sin. We look like sin. We walk like sin. We talk like sin. We act like sin. We invite sin into our camp. We invite sin into our house. We invite sin into our marriage. We invite sin into our heart. We invite sin into our mind. We invite sin into our eyes. We invite sin into our ears. We invite sin and we give it a campsite in our head. We invite apathy. We don't care. We don't have a desire to do. We don't have a desire to be. And I'm telling you right now, there is such apathy in the broad ranges of the church of Jesus Christ across this land right now. They absolutely could not care whether God showed up or not. You know what you call that? Apathy. Can I ask you a question? Time out. Man, I don't even know if I'm going to get through this message. I'm hurting myself right now in conviction. When was the last time you were in a dead service and it bothered you so bad you fasted through lunch? When was the last time we got so upset that people weren't getting saved that we said, you know what, this week Monday, I'm not eating. This week Tuesday, I'm not getting along with anybody. I'm going to stay with me and God. I'm not going to talk to anybody else at my job. I'm just going to spend time in the presence of God. Do you know what you call that? In my spirit, you know what I'm dealing with? I'm dealing with that spirit of lukewarmness. Not hot, not cold. That's what revival is. When the people of God say, God, I'm dirty. God, I'm cold. God, I'm messed up. Now, I'm looking here at this prodigal's revival. I'm going to give you three things, load them up, blow them out. You do with them what you want to do. Number one, let me talk to you, if I can, about the present condition of the prodigal. Because the prodigal is a picture of the church right now, the present condition. You say, what's wrong with the prodigal? He just went down to the far country. Well, there's three problems with the prodigal that you'll find that's a problem with the church. Number one, you know what the prodigal's problem was? He was self Concerned. Look at what it says in verse number 12. He went to his father, and this is what he said. He said, Father, give me. Watch this phrase. Give me the portion of goods that fall to me. You know what we call that in our modern day? An inheritance. You know the only way to get an inheritance is for somebody to what? Die. But the daddy wasn't dead. He looked at his daddy and said, Daddy, I want what I want, and I don't care if you got to die to give it to me. Daddy, I want your goods that belong to me. And if you got to die, has anybody ever thought about this? When he sold the half that belonged to the son, did the son ever one time stop and say, what's my daddy going to eat? What's my daddy going to do? What's my daddy going to live off of? What's my daddy going to farm with? How's my daddy going to pick his corn? How's my daddy going to row a hoe in his field? How's my daddy going to deal with anything? Can I explain to you what that boy thought about? He thought about one thing, and it was a big thing, and it was himself. Can I tell you what my biggest problem is in my life? I love me. I love everything about me. I love what I want. I love when I want it. I ain't going to look at them because they ain't going to act like they hear what I'm saying. You and I both know the biggest idol in your life 
life is me and the biggest idol in your life is you. I want what I want. I want it when I want it. I want it how I want it. I want it who I want it with. And I don't care what I got to do to get it. You know why? how I know that? Because that's what leads us to say whatever we want to say no matter who it hurts. That's what leads us to do whatever we want to do no matter who it bothers. That's why we operate like we want to operate. That's why America is in the shape that she's in because there's 535 elected leaders up in the Washington that don't give two rips about the people that put them there. They want what they want. They want when they want it. They want how they want it. They want who they want it with. They don't care about your family. You know why? It ain't their family. You know why they don't care about me and you? Because we ain't there. And you know what the problem is? We'll bust their chops and never look in the mirror. There's teenagers in this room right now. You got so bowed up at mom and daddy this past week because they wouldn't let you go or do or say something. And you said things that cut a heart like a knife. And you know why? You care about one person. There are husbands in this room that filleted their wife open. You know why? You didn't get what you wanted. There are women in this room right now. They care about everybody as long as it's what they care about. And the church of Jesus Christ That's why we cut people to the core. That's why we kick people around. That's why we don't care. That's why we bust people's chops. And you know what? We'll sit there and nod our head. You know why? Because right now, it's against me. What about when it's you doing the work? Tyler, it's really easy to preach on this and pray for other people when they're ripping people apart. What happens when Tyler just has had just about too much and drinks him a big old dose of I don't give a rip and is willing to say whatever? What about that, Tyler? What about that, son? Are you so self-concerned? You know what we need? We need a revival of our priorities. We need a revival of less self and more others. You know what humility is? A lot of times we think that humility is thinking less of ourself. That's not humility. That's self-pity. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That is the difference between pity and humility. It's when I realize I'm not the biggest thing in the world. It's when you realize you're not the biggest thing in the world. And we're living for other people no matter what I have to deal with and eat. We're self-concerned. I pray that God breaks our hearts over how self-centered that I have become. How self-centered the people of God have become. Number two, he wasn't just self-centered, self-concerned. Son, he expected the blessings. Did you notice anything about that scripture? The Bible tells us there are two sons in that chapter. There's the older And there's the younger. Does anybody else think it's odd that he asked for anything? Because in Jewish culture, only one of those sons was the heir of all things. And you know who it was? The youngest said, I deserve that. Well, what have you done, hotshot? I've raked your fields. I've planted your rows. I farmed in your farm. Well, whoop de blessed do. 
You've also eat my cows, and you eat my chickens, and you ate my corn, and you lived under my roof, and you've done all I've paid for you to do whatever, but yeah, you deserve it. Don't, let's not look at that prodigal too hardcore. Let's not look at him too hard down on our spiritual nose. You know why? How many times have we looked up to the God of heaven and said, God, I don't know why you let that happen to me. I am the one going to church. I am the one living right. I, 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 I. And at the end of the day, you know what the church of Jesus Christ Christ needs to do, we need to realize there is not one thing that we are owed by the God of eternity. He didn't des- we didn't have to be saved. He didn't- we didn't deserve to have salvation. We didn't deserve to die and go to heaven. We deserve right now to be in hell with our back boat frying like a piece of bacon in the charred walls of the dam for all of eternity. But right now I got heaven in my soul. I got hope in my life. I got blessings in my family. I got a roof over my head. I got shoes on my feet. I got clothes on my back. God's been better to me than I could ever deserve. I'm done with that watch. It breaks more time. Honey, would you please just break down and buy me a new watch? <laughs> what was I talking about, hon? The fact that we don't deserve anything. <laughs> I did it to prove a point. Here's the point. We can be walking in the power of the Holy Ghost and one thing snaps and it turns our entire person. How good has God been to you this past week? And you ain't focused on one blessing. You know what you're focused on? The one squeaky wheel in your life. Isn't it amazing you can have a hundred wheels but the only one you give oil to is the one that squeaks. Right now, the God of heaven is trying to show you, I don't owe you anything. You don't deserve anything. If you've been given anything, it is a blessing from the God of heaven. And I just want to stop right now and tell the church, we're spoiled rotten. The church of Jesus Christ in America is spoiled rotten. The church of Jesus Christ around this world, we are spoiled rotten. We need a revival where we say, God, whether we come in and they sing my favorite song, whether I feel a thing or don't feel a thing, I'm just glad I'm not in hell and I'm not on my way to hell and I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. We need a revival. But there was a third problem with that old boy. He just expected blessings but number three he was careless about others. Now what's the difference between being self-concerned and careless? You don't have to be self-concerned to be careless about others. Can I tell you something? Time out. We're all family. Family of God, right? I ain't gonna fire you, you ain't gonna fire me, right? We deal with enough stuff to gut everybody like a hog. Poke every tire in the parking lot and flatten every tire. And sometimes, I ain't gonna look at them, I'm gonna look at y'all. Sometimes you get to that place where you've had it up to here. And you're ready to blow a gasket. Anybody else feeling that way? Yeah. And there's something that rages inside that just says, do it. And the flesh says, done. And like vomit, it just goes. And we're so careless, we don't care what it does to that person. You know why? 
they deserved it because of what they did to me and mine. At what point are we going to stop taking vengeance on people and let God take care of those people trying to destroy us? There's enough people in here trying to destroy you. You could take out every gun from here to kingdom come and just be done with it all. Why don't we let God handle our problems? When God does it, it's a lot less messy. We do it and there's, there's, there's casualties of war, spiritually speaking, everywhere. Our kids get messed up, their kids get messed up. But when God goes to doing business, that's why we cut people with our words. That's why we rip people apart. We don't care. Oh, I do care. You don't care. Because if you cared, you would see it's not them that's doing it. It's the devil that they're listening to that's doing it. And all of a sudden now, it's not about slinging stones. It's about finding the giant. You see, our present condition, we got problems. We got problems in our nation. We got problems in our state. But we got problems in our heart. But I want you to show you, number two, the present conduct. What's wrong? What? Okay, so what? I said a couple of things. I did a couple of things. Look, they deserved it probably eventually somewhere along the way. They did something that they probably deserved what I did or said to them. Or maybe, you know what? If I don't look after me, who is going to look after me? Got to take care of numero uno. I am the most important person. What's our, what are we doing? I'll tell you what our problem is, what Tyler's problem. I'll preach to me. Y'all act like y'all are getting offended. I'll preach to me since y'all, I'll just preach at me this morning. Number one, you know what our problem is? We're living for stuff. We're living for, how, where do I get that from? Well, can I show you something I'd never seen until yesterday morning sitting here studying? I want you to notice in verse number 12, watch what the Bible says in verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Watch this. Verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance. The father had a living, but that boy had turned it into a substance. You know what the difference is? Living in the New Testament, it's the Greek word bios, and it literally means that which sustains life. But yet the the son took that which the daddy used to live, and he turned it into substance. You know what the word substance is in the Bible? It's the Greek word usia, and it literally means that which is a part of your person. The daddy had stuff so he could live. The boy lived for stuff. Now, I'm about to hoe in tater patches like you ain't never seen. I want to ask you a question. When you look back over the course of the last six months of your life, what has brought you the most stress? I imagine it's most of the stress that we stress over is stuff. Oh, my roof is leaking. Erica, call John. I can't believe 
God lets me go through this. My transmission's out. My, 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 what do they call those things on the top of the motor that goes up? The cam heads? Is that what they are, Hunter? Pistons? You could have said it was a John Deere. I don't have a clue. It's the engine. Oh, my boat broke down. My jet ski's messed up. Wheel on my trailer's gone. My third beach house is all cracked to pieces. There's a hurricane moving in. I can't believe it. And we are now turning that which God meant for us to live, we've turned it into that which we live for. Can I ask you a question? How do you know if you're living for stuff or using stuff to live? Here's how you know. If it was taken from you before lunch, how would you feel? If you say, I'd be sad, but I'd make it, then you're using stuff to live. If you would be devastated by it and try to figure out a way to grab it back, you're living for stuff. There's so many people that spend their entire lives trying to rip and try to go and try to crank just for stuff. That boy said, Daddy, I see everything you've got. I see all the houses. I see all the cows. I see all the donkeys. I see all the chickens. I see everything you've got, and I want it, and i got to have it. But, Daddy, I don't want it so I can live by. I want to sell it, and I want to do things my way. Man, he got down, and he did this. He didn't just live for stuff. I can tell y'all are eating this up. I'm going somewhere. Number two, he didn't just live for stuff, but he was dirty in his living. The Bible says he lived and wasted on riotous living. The word riotous, it literally means abandoned. He lived his life as if God wasn't home. He lived his life as if God didn't exist. I said it earlier. The biggest problem that the church has today is we don't put priority on being clean in the eyes of God. Some of you right now, because you came out of a church that said if you didn't wear dresses or you didn't wear skirts, or if you did wear pants, or if you had wire rim glasses or you had all this stuff, then you weren't. And what you did, instead of jumping to the center of the road, you jumped in the other ditch over there. Beloved, can I tell you something? There is to be a difference between the people of God and the world. There is to be a difference in the way that we walk. There is to be a difference in the way that we talk. There is to be a difference in the way that we operate. There is to be a difference in the things that we say. There is to be a difference in the words that come from our mouth. There is to be a difference in the activities that we partake in. And let me just say, the things that were wrong are still wrong. And if they aren't wrong today, then they weren't wrong back there. But you realize drunkenness is still a sin. And pornography is still a sin. And adultery is still a sin. And sex outside of marriage is still a sin and beating people around is still a sin and all of those are still sins and everybody will say yeah amen hallelujah glory to God but you know there are other sins too you realize drunkenness is just as bad a sin as adultery but backbiting is just as big a sin as drunkenness and murmuring is just as big a sin as pornography and running them lips like you own the world that's just as big a sin as any other sin in all the world and lying and cheating and 
and thieving and robbing and going around. Here's the point. When we stop classifying sins and start saying, God, clean me up head to toe. Well, you don't know what's... I ain't worried about such and such. I'm worried about me. Everybody in this room right here could go lose their minds tomorrow, and you probably will. Judging by the way the country's going right now, I will probably see Scott somewhere tomorrow in Vegas dealing cards on a blackjack table. I don't have any idea the the way the world's going. Right now, there's about 300 people in this room. There's about 100 other people in the property. 400 people today could walk away from God and live like the devil. And boys, I still have no excuse not to walk holy before God. If the world burns today, I have no excuse not to be right with God. Stop worrying about everybody else. Stop worrying about how they're tearing you. Stop worrying about how they're beating you. Stop worrying about everybody else and look the God of heaven in the eyeballs and say, if God be for me, who can be against me? I'm done worrying about people. I'm living for Christ. And I'm going to live clean. I'm going to live holy. I'm going to live right. I don't care if everybody in my office tells dirty jokes. I ain't listening. I don't care if everybody in my office drinks like a fish. I ain't touching. I don't care if everybody in my office is passing pornography around. I'm letting no wickedness come across my eyes. I don't care if everybody out there cusses like sailors. I'm going to have a clean mouth. I don't care if everybody out there cheats on their wife. I'm going to be faithful. I don't care if everybody out there runs around on their husband. I'm going to be true. I don't care if everybody out there comes to church on Sunday and is a hypocrite on Monday. Honey, I don't care if every hypocrite in America comes into this town. I still have no right not to be clean. I still have no right not to be holy. You know why? Because I'm not a follower of man. I'm not a follower of people. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's never turned. He's never messed up. He's never betrayed me. He's never wronged me. He's never turned on me. I follow Christ. And revival is when you get your eyes off of people. And say, as long as Jesus is clean, I'm going to be clean. It wasn't just dirty living. It was hungry living. At the daddy's house, he had calves and cows. But Jason, you know what he settled for down there? The husk. You know what that is? That's the leftover corn, the cob. That He didn't even want the corn. Isn't it amazing what sinners and people that get out of church will settle with? Right now, there are people in that world, right now, out there, who have been in the presence of God. Have been in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ's Spirit. And today, are happy. Just living like the devil. You know what they've done? They're satisfied with the husk. You say, all right, what do I do? Number three, I'll give them to you quickly. What do you do? Here's the present call. Here's what he said. He said, when he came to himself, when he came to 
Himself. I want to give you a phrase. I pray you'll listen to this. I pray you'll hear this. You ain't going to hear this in a theological book. You're not going to hear this in another preacher's sermon. Here's the first thing you need to do. There are people, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about people in the choir. I'm talking about people that are deacons. I'm talking about people on the finance committee. I'm talking about people that come to church every time the doors are open. What is it we are to do? I'll tell you what we do. Number one, here's what you need to do. You need to flip the switch. He says when he came to himself. It's in the active voice. You know what that means? It means he did it. Nobody else did it for him. He just woke up one day and said, what in the world am I doing? What in the world? Why am I operating like this? Why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? There are so many of us right now, we're waiting for somebody else just to flip the switch on in our life. We're waiting on somebody else to help us be better. We're waiting on somebody else to help us pray more. We're waiting on somebody else. Waiting on somebody else. Waiting on somebody else. What are we waiting on? You and I need to flip the switch in our life. You say, I don't know if I can come to church. Yes, you do. You just got to flip the switch. I don't know if I can be faithful to that. Yes, you do. You just got to flip the switch. I don't know if I can wake up and pray. Yes, you can. You just got to flip the switch. You know how I know that? Because we'll flip the switch in every other area of our life. I can't get up early. Honey, if there's a fishing special going on down at Blues Creek, you'll be there before the sun even rises and crests up out of the way. Don't tell me you can't. Honey, somebody in the house of God needs to flip the switch in their marriage. Somebody in the house of God needs to flip the switch in their relationship. Somebody in the house of God needs to flip the switch on that prayer time God's dealing with you about. Somebody in the house of God needs to flip the switch on reading that Bible. Somebody in the house of God, you've just got to do it and flip the switch. What are you waiting on? You know what we're afraid of? We're afraid if we flip the switch, the light won't come on. I did something yesterday, didn't I, baby? Last night, went to your mama's house to get all them boxes. Her mama said she had a light switch that was messed up. And she said, I've watched enough YouTube videos. She said, I can change the switch out. Ain't you know, I thought for a second. There's a 50-50 shot. <laughs> but I, I, didn't, I didn't want her to have to deal with that. So I said, Cindy, I said, let me do it. I know y'all think I can't do stuff like that, but I can. <laughs> I'm a repairman at heart. Yeah. You know what a repairman is? He does his best and then don't answer his phone. <laughs> That's a repairman. And uh, so I went and got a screwdriver, went and got that little thing, test see if there's electricity, went downstairs, turned the thing off. Went in there, got a screwdriver, plugged that, undid the old switch, put on the new switch, stuck that thing back in the wall, flipped the breaker, tested to see if there was power. Power was there, turned it on, outlets worked, put the cover back on, sat down, drank my Dr. Pepper like a boss. Son, if I'd have had shades, you'd have called me slim. Son, I was there. <laughs> and she walked over to that light switch like I'd put a secret copperhead in there. <laughs> One step forward, two steps back. And I looked at her and said, What's wrong? She said, I just hope it works. 
I sat there, arms crossed, drinking my Dr. Pepper. I said, Cindy, you already seen me turn it on one time. Did it blow up? Did it catch fire? I said, if I flip the switch once and it worked, when you flip the switch next time, it'll work. I said, because whether or not you believe it, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Now let's apply that right now to our walk with Christ. There are things that the Holy Ghost of God has been dealing with in your life. There are things He's put His finger on in your life, and you're constantly like, well, if I do that, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. And I'm here to ask you, have you seen God turn the lights on when you flip the switch in other places? Because the same God that installed that switch in your life is the same God that installed that switch in your life. Just do it. And stop waiting and do it. Let me give you, I've never seen this. Can I give it to you right now? I'm done. Just so you know I'm done. Scott, you come on, just so they know I'm done. But you ain't got to start playing just so they know I'm done. I want you to watch this. Watch this. You ready, Scott? I've never seen this, my brother. The Bible says he's down in the hog pen. There's no cell phones. There's no internet. There's no communication. He says this. Why am I down here? When my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare. The Bible tells us in that passage, there is a mighty famine in the land. Here's my question. No cell phones, no internet. How did he know his father had bread? There's no internet, no news, no newspaper. There's a famine in the whole land. This boy ain't seen bread in months. How'd he know his father had bread back at the house? You know how he knew? Here's number two. Listen to the inner voice of the Holy Spirit. You see, he's down in the hog pen, Randy, and something inside of him said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his Seed, begging bread. You know what he was doing down in that hog pen? The Holy Spirit started whispering that verse on the inside of him. And right now in the house of God, the Holy Spirit is a nudging on somebody. And it may not just be about sin. It may be going to that next step of faith. It may be that next step of obedience. It may be that next step in your life. And the Holy Ghost is tugging on you. And you keep turning it away. And you keep turning it aside. And I'm telling you right now what the Holy Ghost is dealing with you to do is to listen to the inner voice of the Spirit of God as He ministers that word and tells you what he wants you to do. Here's the question. I'm done, Brother Scott. Here's my question to you as he plays. What is that gentle word in your heart the Spirit of God is dealing with you about? And you keep running. You say, I don't know if it'll work. That's why they call it faith. Believing God when you have no outward signs. That's why they call it faith. In order to be saved, you've got to have faith. 
You've got to come to Christ not seeing Him, just believing what He says. Child of God, there's some areas of your life, the Holy Ghost. I know there have been the last two weeks of my life some things the Holy Spirit's put His finger on in my life. So you need to deal with that. I want you to deal with that. And when I finally flipped the switch and said, God, all right, let's start talking about it. One thing after another, after another, after another, after another, start opening up. Start opening up. Things start being said. Things start being done. Things start being open. But you've got to flip the switch and listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Today is the accepted day.